Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. I am so grateful for the promise of your return. Hallelujah. Lord, that you have promised to come back. And we know that it is true, just as we know that the rest of your word has been true, and that you manifested yourself, Yahweh incarnate, just as you proclaimed in your Old Testament, so you will again, as we read it declared in the Revelation, and even in other prophecies through the Old Testament as well. Lord, I pray that as we again look to your truth, recorded in the book of Proverbs, these principles, these precepts, these proverbs of wisdom, Lord, that we would not look past them, but, Father, that we would embrace them in those things that are not manifested in our lives or in our homes or in this church. Lord, that we would seek to repent, to change the way we think, and that we would seek your grace being manifested in our life, that we might become more and more conformed to the image of Christ that you might receive greater and greater glory in and through our lives, our families, and this assembly. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs. We've been considering it now since the beginning of last June. We've gone through the whole process of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, considering the path and the possession of those things. We have been looking at pearls now for a long time um, as we come through. In the last four weeks, we have considered the topic of the righteous. And uh, some of that which we have seen as we have considered the righteous is going to, if you would, be applicable to this new little subset that we're going to look at, and that is the family. For one of the things that we understand, or you you ought to understand, is that the Israeli culture um, was uh, man-centric from that perspective. I don't mean that wrong. But, for example, in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house or whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down or whether you're raised up, and you shall put them as a sign upon your hands. And as a front lip between your eyes, you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here's my question to you. Who was Moses talking to? In the Shema, who was Moses talking to? Hero Israel. Yeah, so we say Israel. But David, who was it? The men. If you go up earlier, you understand that this is actually the men. Okay? There were 1.5, give or take a few people, million people, okay? And so the men were gathered together, and this was a challenge to men to have a true faith, a true love for the true God, and then to have his word hidden in their hearts so that they could turn around and instruct the children in what was hidden in their heart. And then live it out in their, their lives. The importance of the word of God in the family, for me, cannot be overstated. I didn't come up with the name of this church. It was come up by um, a man who's passed on now, who was an, one of my mentors years ago. He was an independent, fundamental Baptist. And I'm not meaning that wrong. I was an independent Baptist pastor, okay? But he was, I mean, I was only because I was saved through that ministry and stuff like that. But for me, I didn't want labels. But he was, and so if he was going to plant the church someplace, it was going to be a independent Baptist church. But I was meeting with him, and this church was starting to come about through Bible studies and stuff. And there was a request that I would consider making this more of a formal thing back in 2003. And so as we met together, he named it based upon what the desires that God has placed upon my heart 
in on those who wanted this body to continue being what it is. So we are family, Bible, church. And there's a reason for that. Because family is the core unit, institution if you would, I hate that word, but you get what I'm saying, that he wants to work on in the world. It's not the church, but the church is important because we are the body of Christ. Not the body of Bob, not the body of David, not the body of Steve, not the body of whatever name you want to place in there, but we're the body of Christ. But God works through the family in order to bring the light into the darkness. Think about back in the garden, God breathed the breath of life into Adam, placed him in the garden. Things were good. But then God said it was not good for man to be alone. So he brought every animal that he had created before Adam. And Adam found out that every single one of them had a what? A mate, a helpmeet, a companion. And so God, after he had Adam name and all, put Adam asleep and made Eve, made the woman from Adam, and the two were one, right? God, at that very moment, established the institution of marriage, of the family. First, it was marriage without kids. And God said, when he saw it, this is very good. If you have kids, you get it. So, I'm joking, I'm joking, okay? My kids are a blessing to me, okay? But, in the command that he gave them was to be fruitful and multiply. So, God's first institution, if you would, other than putting man in the garden and telling him to work, okay, was that there was going to be marriage and there was going to be family. And we're told in the book of Malachi that God did it in order that he might have godly offspring. God has a purpose in the family. And so our motto at the church is building families on the word of God. That's exactly right. Because there's a whole lot of things, help, self-helps out there in order to build your family upon. But as we talked way back in June, when we started this whole thing, and we talked about the multi-billion dollar industry that it is throughout the world for self-help stuff, there's only one book, only one book, that has absolute truth and will absolutely fix any issue that you have. And it's the Word of God. When I do marital counseling, I, I'm straight up front and tell people I'm not a counselor. I'm a discipler. I'm a teacher. I hate, I hate wiping runny noses. I'm just honest, okay? And so you just need, if you're going to come to me, you're just going to need to know this, okay? And when, I, when you come for marital counseling, I'm going to state right up front my core belief. Beliefs. But my primary core belief is that I don't believe in an innocent partner. I believe that everyone on the face of the earth is a sinner. So I don't care if it's 90-10. It's got to at least be. It makes sense. They're, every individual is a sinner and deals with selfishness. And they have to come to the point of saying, I am the problem in my marriage. I am the problem. Because everybody who comes in for marital counseling, the problem in the marriage is who? The other. Well, it it is both of them. But when they come in, their view is, it's the other. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, sorry, be careful what you say. It's going to be held against you later on. Not in the court of law, but in the court of your spouse. Okay, anyways. So, but the reality is that that's the way the world thinks. And again, as we talked about in Sunday school with Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs and how in Christ it's flipped fully 180 degrees, I've got to get to the point where I understand that it's not about me but it's all because of me that there's problems. And when I finally get to that point, God's going to be able to do work. Now, the second thing 
in my beliefs is that nothing I say, this is straight up, and this is how I feel even when I preach. You say, well, why don't you preach less then? Anyways, nothing I say is meaningful in anything, is not going to help you at all. Unless what? It comes directly from the scriptures. And so from day one, one of the things I try to do in marital counseling is have people have a quiet time. I want them to be in God's word, and I want them to be praying. Because I'm not the one who's going to fix the marriage. I'm not the one who's going to fix the kids. God is. And if it only comes, if change only comes because they read a good book or they heard a pithy saying from Bob, it's not going to last or it's going to still fall so short of the mark which God has designed. When God created Adam and he made Eve for Adam, he had a greater purpose in mind, which we read of in Ephesians chapter 5, and yes, we'll get the Proverbs in just a moment, But in Ephesians chapter 5, what is the greater purpose that Adam and Eve played? Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you know this. Come on. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Okay? Amen. We'll get to you in a moment, bucko. Okay? Husbands... Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might, that he might wash her, that he might sanctify her with the washing of the water. By the word, that's right now, the women say amen. Okay? And, he, and he goes on talking about then how the, man, how the man is supposed to nurture and cherish her, right? But then he goes on and he says, For this reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Quoting Genesis chapter 2. But then Paul states, now this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Your marriage, if you're married, if you're married, if you're married, your marriage is supposed to be by design by created plan, the illustration that the world will see of Christ and the church. Then having godly offspring. And so, again, this to me is so paramount because my family though is a limitation to me in what I might want to do, it is my greatest asset that God has given to me. My wife is the second greatest gift that God has ever given to me. The first is himself. It's not even life. That comes down. But God gave himself to me in order that I might have fellowship with him. And then he gave me my help me. And that's the third thing that I need to get to in my marriage. Realizing that God has given to me that gift. Now, with all that being stated, a lot of what I just stated actually is going to come from statements in Proverbs as well as the rest of scriptures. Now, as we look at these things, as we consider this, I want to begin with four general principles. Two, which we looked at um, over the last couple of weeks when we considered the righteous, okay? First one comes from Proverbs 3, verse 33. Now, these four are going to be up on the screen, but the rest of them, they're not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to get your Bibles ready, okay? And your fingers kind of loosen them up and get ready to go, okay? Because we're going to fly. Okay, Proverbs 3, verse 33. The curse of Yahweh... The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just, or again, in the Hebrew, the righteous. He blesses the home of the righteous. So for a quick little kicks and giggles here, repetition is the key to learning. Who are the righteous? 
No, I can't say we are. That's, you're becoming emphatic and you're assuming. Okay? Who are the righteous? Followers of God. Followers of, whether you're saying Yahweh, whether you're following Jesus. I get that, okay? Followers of God. Okay? Ones who have been made and declared righteous because of what he has done for us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when we read that, that we understand that he who knew no sin became sin. Whose sin? My sin. Okay? He became sin in order that we might become his righteousness. Mm. So God did this great exchange. He placed my unrighteousness, my sinfulness, upon Jesus. Jesus was the lamb. Can you be my lamb? Can you be my... Yeah, okay. Well, she gets to be like a female Jesus, so this is a good thing, right? Right? So, um, but Jesus became the lamb of God. Who what? Takes away the sin of the world. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, when you would have your sin sacrifice, you would bring it to the temple, to the tabernacle. You would place your hands upon it. You would confess your sins, and your sins would be transferred to that animal. And then it would be, yeah. That's a great model. Um, we, go, we didn't even practice that. We're going to go on the road with that. Anyways, um, but then it would be killed. And then it would be offered as a sacrifice, symbolizing that your sin was destroyed. And so he who knew no sin became my sin and destroyed it on the cross in order that I might have imputed to me his righteousness. So if that's the case, and as we saw in Galatians, as we studied this morning, that If you have been crucified with Christ, therefore you no longer live, but it's Christ who what? Lives in you. And so therefore, as he says in John 15, that he who abides in him and his word abides in me, right? So if you abide in Christ and Christ's words abide in you, then you will bring forth, you will bear much fruit. For apart from him, you can do nothing. So if that is the case, if you are one of the righteous positionally, then practically speaking, then the work of sanctification is going to go on in your life and you are becoming increasingly righteous according to the standards of God. So those who fit that category, God is going to bless. But when you are looking to your own self, self self-centeredness and doing the things your way and participating in the acts and activities of the wicked, then what do you know? God is going to what? Curse you. I didn't say it. God said it. He curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the house of the just or the righteous. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. You can go to um, Ezekiel 18, and you can look at the whole chapter there where it talks about how though a man may walk in his righteousness, and if his child decides to walk a different way, then the child's going to give an account for their wickedness. But if a father walks in wickedness, and, and, and the child decides to change, then the child's not going to give an account for the father's wickedness. So those things happen. But the general principle is that the children of a righteous man will be blessed after him. They'll walk, if you would, in his pattern because they had a good example. If your parents smoked, there is the greater potential for you to struggle with smoking. If your parents drank a lot, there's a greater struggle for you to potentially drink. If your parents got divorced and didn't care about the marital relationship, there's probably a greater chance for you to, and I can show you this statistically, to, to get divorced. Okay? It, it's just, it's natural. Okay? Why? God said so. Okay? So the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. They're not going to have to deal with the guck 
later on of one who is walking in wickedness. Proverbs 15, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Bring it into our day. I mean, well, yeah, we'd be probably good with that. Better is a dinner of green beans. And quino, or whatever that stuff is. Yeah, quinoa, yeah. Better is a dinner of quinoa with green beans where love is than a juicy, fattened steak where there's hatred. I mean, have you ever, you've been to dinners, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you, you had a, a salad. You know, salads are great if there's great time going on, great fellowship, you know? I mean, I got a piece of bread with some apple butter on it. Man, I'm content. Now, honestly, for me, you can make peanut butter and jelly, you know what? And I'm in hog heaven. I mean, that's, I'd take that over the New York Strip anyway, anyway. So, but I know I'm weird. Anyways, so, but, but the point is, you can have a basic meal, but if there's a lot of love and laughter going on, you walk away and you are filled you're full you're excited this is great life is good but you can go in and you can have a filet mignon or whatever porterhouse or whatever thing you want to put in there the the greatest thing with your with your brussels sprouts and everything else and you know this is a fabulous meal that's going on the asparagus whatever and but everybody's fighting with each other and hating one another and and calling each other's names and you can't even finish your meal and you walk away with indigestion it goes back. Some of you understand that commercial from years ago. Anyways, um, and you walk away with this indigestion. Well, biblical, biblical principles here. It's better, if you would, to be poor. It's better to be poor in the eyes of the world and to be rich in God than to be rich in the eyes of the world and to be poor with God. You get it? Proverbs 17, verse 1, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Hmm. I would rather have peace and unity than great prosperity. I came to learn that a long time ago. Because from the perspective of the world, we want what the world has to offer. We want what the world wants to give us. And sadly, it's going to take us down the wrong path. So today, we want to look at the marital relationship. Next week, we're going to look at the parental relationship. Why did I do this in the order that I did this? This was, this was because the kids don't have a choice but to come back next week and to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> but for those of you who didn't look ahead at the sermon note sheets, you got sucked into this, and now you're stuck. Okay, so mass exodus. Anyways, so um, the institution, first of all, what does it say about marriage? Proverbs 18, verse 22. This is where we're going to do the, let your fingers do the walking, okay? So hopefully, if you, you get your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs 18, verse 22, okay? Or I say with me, but I, I get the cheat sheet, okay? And there are some, I think, verse sheets back there. So if you grab one of those cheat sheets, you can just look at this as well. Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Stop. Okay, you thought about it long enough. Okay. Now, here's the question. Guys, he's talking to men. He's, this is not LGBTQ. Okay, I'm in trouble now because we're hate, we're hate people. But, but here's the reality. He's not talking to a woman, okay? Okay? So he's talking to a guy. Do you honestly believe that he who finds a wife finds a good thing? Amen. You say amen. But some guys might say, I'm not, the, the, it's still out for a vote. Okay? So, amen, it's in my book. That's exactly the right answer. Regardless of what, and I can honestly tell you, okay, look, Marcia and I were not saved when we got married, okay? We were not the biblical role models. I'm not telling you we necessarily are at this moment, but hopefully we're a little bit better at that than we were when we first got married, okay? Again, I've told you, I'm the guy who stopped the car, calling her every name in the book, and you put the name in there, it probably came out of these lips and told her to get her, out of my car okay i'm the guy who stopped the van and walked and got out of the van and just walked while there was cries going on to come back okay i know the other side of that track 
I know how hard it is to say whether I think a wife is a good thing. But again, go back to the principles I stated for what I believe with marriage. I had to come to the point in my life when I recognized that the problem in my marriage was not my wife, but Bob. Now, I'll tell you, if we're in marital counseling, that I believe my wife had to come to that place as well, and that she had to recognize the fact that the problem with our marriage was, no. <laughs> no. She knew that already. I didn't have a problem. My wife was the problem in our marriage. She would say Bob was the problem in the marriage. But no, she had to get to the point where she realized that she was the problem in the marriage. That wasn't for me to worry about. I had to worry about my relationship to Jesus Christ and whether I was loving her like Christ loved the church. It's her responsibility to worry about whether she looks like the church or what the church ought to be, not what the church is. Mm, mm. At least a woman has an out, right? I mean, Jesus never really changed. You know, the church may have a warped image, you know, but Jesus, the image doesn't change. So as a guy, there was no out. You know, my standard was the standard. I mean, and it still is the standard. So, so he who finds a wife finds a what? Good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. I don't have time to get into the Johnny Lingo story, um, but you can look it up, okay? And it's about a, a guy in the, in the islands over in like Indonesia and those, the New Guinea area. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess up on where it was exactly at. But who wind up overpaying for his wife. And everybody made a mockery of him because he overpaid. But he went in and he offered. He overpaid. And I'm not going to tell you how many cows and that kind of stuff. But anyways, just he could have got her for next to nothing. Could have got her for a chicken and he gave multiple cows. Okay? And because um, she was homely looking and she was stooped over and she was whatever. And so this one guy went to the islands and he heard about this. Everybody were laughing. And he went and he visited this guy because he was on his own little island plantation kind of thing. And then one of his servants came in who was just very st- statuesque and everything. Came in and served them and, and to, to, to get their drink orders and whatever. And so... Um, and he noted, so Johnny Lingo noted his um, visitor looking at this um, servant walking out and um, said, she's a mighty fine young lady, isn't she? And he said, yes. Who is she? That's my wife. It wasn't a servant. And so Johnny Lingo built into his wife who she was, not what the world was telling her it's a phenomenal picture my wife is so phenomenal and i'm glad she's not here to be embarrassed i don't think she's on zoom oh she is oh there you go marsh sorry uh zip out baby so you don't hear all this anyways man i'm now it's on record man how do i do this i didn't mean it honey i didn't mean it anyways no i'm joking she is phenomenal God has designed her perfectly for me. Does it rub against me sometimes? 100%. But generally when it does, it's probably because I needed it. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Change the way you think. If you think otherwise, change the way you you think. I have to think like God thinks. Proverbs 19, verse 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife... uh, Now we're defining a little bit here, isn't it? A prudent wife is from Yahweh. So, finding a wife in and of itself is a good thing. If she's a prudent wife, ladies, hang with that one. If she's a prudent wife, then it's truly a blessing from the Lord. We'll get to the women in just a moment, but you understand that, okay? You can either be a prudent wife or an imprudent wife. You have to ask yourself, which one are you? And don't tell me it's because of your husband if you're imprudent. Imprudent? Ah, what does prudent mean? That's a great question, Katie. Who wants to answer it? Wise? Far, 
So like, I'm not, so I'm not prudent anymore. Anyways, good. Okay, farsighted, being able to see ahead and to be able to make decisions based upon what the future is holding. Good, okay. Anybody else? Want to throw something in there? Discerning, discerning. Well, you're cheating, man. Come on, say it out loud now, though, Steve. Careful and sensible, marked by sound judgment. There you go. Now we have Merriam-Webster. Or was that the free dictionary.com? <laughs> Anyways, so, but all that combined, okay? So prudence is, is all that kind of rounded out, okay? We're going to get to Matt, or Proverbs 31 in a moment. Mm. Anyways, the prudent wife, okay? This is really what that plays out. Okay, so the individuals then. First, we're going to start with the husbands. Now, there's not going to be, I get it now, if you're looking at this, there's not as many verses for the husband as there is for the wife. Don't get in a panic and a tizzy. I've already stated the fact that the rest of Proverbs was written to who? Men. So, so I, I can't walk away from it. Everything we've just talked about from the righteous applies, right? But Proverbs 5, verse 15 to 23, okay? Again, this is a PG-13 moment, okay? So, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of Yahweh, and he ponders all his paths, his own iniquities, and trap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. The porn industry is overrunning not even just men anymore, even women in our country and in our churches. Jesus said, men, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Now, ladies, don't try to use that as the Jesus also said that you have an excuse for um, divorce because of fornication. So since he's lusting in his heart, therefore he's committed adultery, Jesus said it, and so I have an out. Don't, don't, don't play legalism, okay? But guys, I've been honest about my growing up with pornography, okay? I get it. And one of the things that I had to realize is every time I went there, I was like, I really went to the temple of Asherah or the temple of Baal into the fertility gods and goddesses, into the sex cults. And I was participating and I was worshiping demons and not the true God. There is no place. What is light to do with darkness? What is Christ to do with Belial? There is no place for pornography. Now, I'm, there's no place for gossip. There is no place for, um, for um, overeating. There is no place. So I'm not picking on just one, okay? But we're talking about that at this moment, okay? So I'm not picking on just one, okay? But there is no place. We tend to try to justify it. Well, she ain't giving it to me. It's not an excuse. Now, ladies... Ephesians chapter, oh, I'm messing up here. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is very clear that the, the sexual uh, marital relationship is an obligation for one to the other. And if you are not fulfilling your end of it, then 1 Corinthians 7 is very clear that you can be handing your, your partner over to Satan and opening up a door for Satan to work, okay? And just remember that God is the one who knows everybody's hearts, and God is the one who's going to judge based upon that. So there's not an out for me to be able to excuse myself with a porn um, problem because my wife, but my wife will give an account as well if she is the fault in causing me 
to, to stumble that way as well. Just being straight with y'all, okay? You've got to th- think like Jesus thinks. And I, again, I know this isn't a feel good. This isn't going to cause our church to grow to 3,000, okay? But, well, whatever. It, I'm, my point is that this isn't a, a feel good message, right? This is a feel bad message. But hopefully in the end, it's a what? Feel good, because you're like Jesus. That's exactly right, okay? And that's what people don't understand. Speak the truth in love, okay? And so I get it. I get what I'm sharing with you. I 100% get, okay? And, to, and, and it's a struggle for Bob. The marriage bed should, ought to be pure in what? Undefiled, book of Hebrews, right? And so when you get into the bed, and sorry, PG-13, okay? And all of a sudden, there's a bunch of other women in that, okay? Or for you ladies, some other guys, okay? And you got to be careful of your harlequins and your Christian harlequins, okay? Harlequ- you know, like Jeanette Oak and the, you get fill-in-the-blank books where all of a sudden you've got these um, perfect um, Mounties or perfect men who are, um, are, are, the, are the husband to have, okay? And your husband never matches up to him. And he never will match up to that perfect person in that book. Careful of those things. It's just lust, just like a man. You may lust relationally and, and look upon your man lusting physically, but it's the exact same thing. Lust is lust is lust, okay? Adultery is adultery is adultery. If you want something else other than what God has graciously given to you, you are lusting, okay? And you are coveting, and and it's wrong, 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 wrong. But back to the guys, okay? Back to the guys. I have got to set myself, and I've got to make sure that, so my commitment to my wife is not a commitment to my wife. My commitment to my wife is a commitment to to Christ. That's exactly right. My, I love my wife supremely because of my love for Christ. Not loving my wife is not an option. Now, am I perfect at it? <laughs> not at all. But when I fail, it's because I failed. Okay? When I am lusting after the another woman, okay? It's wrong. And so I, I shared, um, I think in Sunday school, we were talking about modesty. There have been p- women who have come in into the church in years past who were dressed to kill. I can testify that they did. Okay? That's rough. Okay? When you've got to look another way so that you're not and you say, well, that's a problem with you, you pervert. And you go, well, yeah, you're right, 100%. It is. I don't have a problem with that. I can, amans- I can, I can answer that. Sin is sin is sin, and I'm not going to walk away from it. However, we can either help or tear down. Make sense? And so we've got to be careful in this culture how we are encouraging or discouraging, edifying or tearing down one another. Guys, it's on you. Okay. You've got to have a mindset where that's sin. That's and honestly, straight up, that is being offered unto Satan, and that's not what I want to do. God is not glorified. These two both go together. Proverbs sixteen thirty one. The silver haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. I missed the word. Listen to it again. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. What word? Say it again. If. If. You know, for such a small little word, it has such great impact. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength and the splendor of old men is there a gray head? Do you know what a gray head means? You made it that far. You made it that far. Because young men tend to act like idiots. I mean, I shared it with some others. I mean, you know why we send 18 to 26-year-olds into war? Because by the time they get 26, 27, 28, they say... Duh, that's kind of dumb. I might die. But when you're young, you think you're what? Invincible. There's some guys that are getting a little bit older. Zach, are you mellowing out yet? Amen. 
Man, I'm telling you, I see some of these young guys in Canada. They're running on these mountains, and I'm thinking, there could be a cliff right there. You know, but they'll never die. And, um, and praise God, he didn't, right? So anyways, but, but the young men act that way. But there is something to saying, I got what? Right here. It's a blessing of God, especially if it is in the way of righteousness. Okay? All right, all these other things from the last couple weeks, guys, it's you. Are you teachable? Are you tender? What are your thoughts like? What's your tongue like? I'm not going to go through all of it again, but it's a reminder. We as men set the example, the tone in our houses. It, again, it's a two, it, it takes two to tangle. I get it, okay? However, again, I am not accountable for Marcia. I'm accountable for Bob. And as it says, John said in his first epistle, we love him, God. Why? Because he first loved us. It's a whole lot easier for your wife to respond in love if she's feeling loved. Now, it's not an out for her. Not an out. We're going to get to her in just one second. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Now the mass exits. (laughs) However, before I slide on, guys, we've got to understand, we have such a huge role. We are Jesus in that relationship. Don't, don't let that get watered down. Never be content with mediocrity. Never be content with complacency. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God of Christ Jesus wherever it begins in your life right now. All right, the wife. I'm glad we only have one vote per church because I'd be voted out next week if the wives all had votes. Anyways, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I praise the Lord for this church. I really do. I know as a whole that you guys desire truth, okay? And so, I mean, I joke because a lot of what I'm teaching and getting ready to teach wouldn't float very well in a, in a lot of churches, okay? Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife, now we have a little bit more what definition going on here, right? An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to the bones. I'm going to read a couple of these and then we'll come back and talk about them as a whole. Proverbs 14.1 The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hand. Proverbs eleven sixteen. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. Remember when we talked about that he who finds a wife finds a what? A good thing. But then the next verse said that a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now we read about the excellent wife. We're going to get to the virtuous wife in just a second. But this excellent wife, excellent wife. And so, again, as I picked on the men, ladies, you have to ask yourself, where are you on the scale of excellence? Tell me right off the bat, ladies only. This is a ladies only dance, if you would, okay? So, okay, so, ladies, what is the ultimate mark of perfection or excellence that you need to strive for. The excellent wife. Don't tell me Proverbs 31. Say it out. Say it out. Jesus Christ. What were you going to say, this? Exactly right. God first. Jesus. It's still, I mean, even though you're not a guy, you're a woman, the, the actual, the reality is, it's still Jesus. Jesus is still the excellent one. When we, when we read in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing but in all things with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say then, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things be of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, then think on these things. How do you define those seven things that you're supposed to think upon? Jesus. 
He is that which is pure and lovely and just and holy. And, you get what I'm saying? Jesus is the excellent standard. And so you have to ask yourself, if the image was changed and all of a sudden you were Christ, where do you stand? I mean, isn't the church the body of Christ? Aren't we told in Ephesians chapter 4 as the body of Christ that we ought to be joining together into one man into the head who is Christ? So, as we look at this, i got to ask myself, I'm putting on my feminine side and pretending I'm a woman right now, okay? Am I, would I be the excellent wife? you got to ask yourself that. And it doesn't matter what I think of you, and it really, honestly, straight up, it doesn't matter what your husband thinks of you. Because in the end, you're going to give an account to God. It ultimately matters, and that's where we have a problem. Because too many times we're trying to please man, Galatians chapter 1, and not trying to please God. So if I have in my brain that I'm not trying to please man, or a woman if you would, but I'm trying to please God, then all of a sudden things, life changes. My whole focus changes. It's not my wife who I've got a problem with. It's God I've got a problem with. Ooh, would you say that? <laughs> no, I wouldn't necessarily want to say that, but the fact is that's who I've got a problem with. He wants me to change, and I just like the smut that I'm in right now. Hmm. I praise God that my wife is a strong-willed woman, and I'm glad she's not here. Anyways, <laughs> I praise the Lord that my wife is a strong-willed woman, but I'll guarantee you that I hate the fact that my wife is a strong-willed woman. Do you get it? It's it's almost sometimes the, the greatest virtue is the thing that you struggle with, okay, from whichever side you're on. But the excellent wife, that's got to be the goal woman that you want to look towards. So what does it then say with it, right? But she, she who causes shame is like rottenness. So now we want to make a definition based upon the verse. So now what is the excellent wife? Based upon the verse. Say again, what'd you say? Okay, good. She's life. Good. Okay, I like that because it's not rottenness to his bone. It's life to his bones. She's not bringing him what? Shame. She's not bringing him shame. Instead of being rottenness to the bones, she's then bringing life to the bones. Again, I don't have time to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and all these other passages in the New Testament. That's, we're in Proverbs, okay? But clearly you can go to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm quoting verses and I'm referring to verses. And you can go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and you can look at it about the hierarchy that God has created. That man is the head. He's under Christ who's under the Father, right? So you got the Father, you got Christ, you got man. And then under man is the woman. It doesn't mean that you're lesser. It means you have a different role. And just in the military, okay, as a, as a captain, I had underneath me lieutenants. I, under them that were the, the sergeants, right? And so enlisted, hated it, and I get it, okay? I had that enlisted mindset, and so I get it. But I come in as a butter bar, okay, which means to you non-military people, I was a what, guys? Second lieutenant. I was a second Louis, which means I what knew how much? Zero. But I thought I knew everything. And so instantly I was going to be assigned to an E7, maybe an E8, okay, depending on what my, my position was. And the E7, okay, so E7 means that he's enlisted seventh high. So he's gone from E1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. He's been in the military for a long time. He does know, not everything, but he knows a whole lot. And the reason that he's here is there is to what? Help me learn i got to figure that thing out, don't I? Okay? So, but the other side is, so even though he might have known more than me, who makes the decision? I did. As the butter bar. Even though he knew more than me. And if I made a bad decision, what was his job? No, sir. To support me. He might, he might... He might talk to me, depending on who, what kind of person I was in the office. But when we got out with the troops, Ray, he better support me. He better support me. He, he better, 
um, toe the line. That's called submission. That's um, hupotasso, okay? Hupakuo is the child obeying, okay? Hupotasso, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, that a woman's role is to submit unto her husband, okay, is to be able to submit. Submission doesn't mean that you agree. If you agree with everything, it's not submission. Submission is when you don't agree and you still go along with it because that other individual is your your head, your authority. That's exactly right. Okay? So, this woman is an excellent wife. Um, she doesn't cause shame and bring rottenness to his bones. She builds her house, verse 14, verse 1 said again, right? Instead of pulling it down. So she's seeking to edify it. Ladies, one of the greatest things you can do in building up your house is building up your husband. Just being honest. Guys, the same thing goes. Okay? I mean, it's just toward the woman, but the same thing goes. Our kids. I mean, I don't know if you remember it. My mom and dad had a pretty good relationship. But I remember the times they didn't. I remember the times they didn't. I remember being in panic when I thought my mom and dad were going to do the D thing. I mean, I fled. And the one time, my, who was my sister-in-law now, I spent the day with her. And the other time was I went up to Marshes because I couldn't deal with it. I was, I was in college, man. I, was, I think I was a senior the time that I fled to Marshes. You think by the time you're in college, you're, you're not affected by that. My world was falling apart. The best thing you can do is build. Build in your homes, not tear it down. And then that gracious woman will retain honor. Okay, let's get to that one that you don't want to get to, okay? We don't have a lot of time, praise God, for you, right? Um, so I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to let the word speak for itself, okay? Because I'm not here to pounce on you. But God's word, again, does the, the, does the convicting, right? So beginning verse 10, Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. I, I just got to state this. Look, if you're failing here, don't be down. Just give it to the Lord. Because you're not going to do it all the days of your life. But give it to the Lord and ask God to help you. Verse 13. She seeks wool and flax, and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you, O wife, excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, what I didn't share in the beginning when I was doing these verses, and you see on your sermon note sheet, if you're looking at it, I consider those all positive verses, not negative. It's a challenge. 
just because I may have failed doesn't mean it's not positive. It's something to press toward. But we're going to end with the negative. Proverbs 11.22 As a ring of gold and a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Can I go back to the men and talk about the porn industry? Do you get it, guys? This is exactly what the porn industry is built upon. A beautiful woman who has no discretion. It's like a ring in a pig's snout. Just saying. Do you know what it says about us? Sorry, I'm getting off on the guys again. Because it's, it's my, my struggle in the past, right? So I get that. I, I get it. I mean, battles still rage in the brain, okay? So where's that? It's a pig's snout. The Lord, I asked the Lord many years ago to help me find, nothing personal, ladies. Help me find imperfections in women. Not that I want to be against you. But I, I, it's so easy as a, as a guy to only look at the things you want to see. But I know every single woman, okay, if you were my wife, I'd rejoice in the Lord for you as my wife. But I'd also know that you were a sinner too. Make sense? And so it's easy. I look out and say, oh, I'm glad that's not my wife. Uh, <laughs> nothing personal, ladies, okay? But I've had to train myself to get to this point. I don't want you. I, I don't want you. I have the perfect woman. Sorry, guys, you only get second perfect, okay? So I learned that in seminary from one of my best friends, John. I mean, I finally gave up. He had the perfect wife. I could never have the perfect wife because he had the perfect wife. Okay, I'm glad I had the second best. Anyways, so, but that's how you got to be. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry that the, the, the perfect wife was taken. You get the second best, but it's really good. And you ought to be able to say to me what? <laughs> we can disagree on this one, Bob. You know, <laughs> this is exactly right. So, okay. But women, this is your goal is to be that, okay? Then these other ones, Proverbs 19.13, I'm reading all these together. They all say the same thing, but here's the deal. When God says something once, it's what? It's important. It's important. If he says it twice, it's really important. If he says it three times, he really wants you to understand this. I'm getting ready to read five verses, all in Proverbs, that say the exact same thing. Scattered. Do you think it's important? Do you think it was prevalent back then? Do you think potentially it's prevalent today? So I'm not picking on you, woman. I'm just telling you this is what God's word says. Okay? You know what it is. I don't even have to read these, but I'm going to read them. Proverbs 19, verse 13. A foolish son, and we'll talk about this one next week. A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 21, verse 19. Better to dwell in the wilderness. In the corner of the housetop wasn't good enough. I got to get out in the wilderness. Then with a contentious and angry woman. Proverbs 25, verse 24. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 27, verse 15 and 16. A continual dripping on a very rainy day. And a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. I'm not quite sure why it said right hand, not left hand. But there's something probably to do that too. I just put hand. Did you ever try to catch the oil? I mean, I mean, in the end, it's like all over you. And it's like, you know, oil, water and oil don't mix. And so you're trying to, and, and all the water's doing is what? Spreading it around. And you got to get some soapy water and that kind of stuff and try to just, do you get what God is saying, don't be the nasal drip of your family. Do you know what happens with the nasal drip? It turns into a sore throat. Do you know what happens with a sore throat? It t- turns into an infection and gives you fever. Sinusitis is not a fun thing. Don't be the nasal drip. I mean, if I had to bring it up into art and paraphrase it, that's it. Don't be that nasal drip in your family. Now, I get it. Guys, it's hard living with that imperfect wife. Ladies, it's rough living with that imperfect guy. But I promise you, it's a gift from God, whether you know it or not. 
and you're never going to find the perfect model that you think you are. So change yourself to become the perfect model that you can stand before Christ doing what he has called you to do. So in the end, if a reality check was performed on your house, how would you fare? What's a reality check? A reality check is going in and finding out what you're really like. We tend to deceive ourselves. We had a reality check a year and a half ago with the church, and it was good to find out things that we may not necessarily be doing good at, that we thought we were doing okay at. Some things we kind of knew we weren't doing so good at, and it just kind of confirmed it. And so it may happen in your house. You know there's some struggles. So if you know there's struggles and things that you're not doing so good at, what should you do? Change, work on them. Change the way you think. That's exactly right. In what areas, then, do you specifically, not what areas specifically, but you specifically, not your husband, not your wife, what areas do you specifically need to change? Okay? I want you to think about it. Okay? And I want you to write those down. Okay? Because it's not, again, for your spouse. You can hide it. Tuck it into your Bible. Don't let them see it. Anyways, but acknowledge it. I met with a couple once, and the lady gave me a list of things that she needed to work on. She didn't want her husband to see it first. I get that. Because she felt like it may be used against her. And said, can you pray for me in these things? Because I recognize these are my problems. They don't go to this church, okay? But it was pretty cool. I kept it in my wallet. And every time I opened my wallet, I saw it, I remembered to pray. And I, so I prayed for that. And I can tell you that she's doing so much better at it. Years later, I still meet with them here and there. And um, she's doing so much better at it, okay? Um, and there were some major problems. Some major problems. Not just with her, but really with her husband as well. If you are married, if you were to change rules, what would you want to change in you? Hmm. So, all of a sudden, you become, ladies, you become the husband. If you were the husband, (laughs) how would you be acting? What do you need to change? Guys, what would you change? If you're looking back at you. Does it make sense? If you're looking back at you, being that spouse, what would you change? And so, one thing I've told the single guys, as they're praying about and looking for a spouse... Become the man you want your daughter to marry. Become the man you want your daughter to marry. Ladies, become the woman you want your husband. Your, your husband. <laughs> Woo. Um, yeah, yeah, well, you know, Jacob had two wives. So anyways, become the woman that you want your son to marry. Would you want your son or your daughter being stuck with you? If the answer is no, then you know you need to what? Change. Because, again, what we talked about before, about the righteous man walking in his integrity and his children are blessed after him, your children probably will gravitate and find someone like you. And that could be a scary thing. It is funny. Hunter walked out, so I don't know where he's at now. But it's fun to look at my son-in-law's and to see me in them. Not exact models, clearly, but there's, there's things of Hunter that clearly Gabrielle was gravitated to because they reminded her a little bit of probably of me. And Hunter and Sam almost seem to be polar opposites sometimes, but they're both part of my personality, part of my nature. So think that through. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act. Let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful to you that you love us with an everlasting love and that you have shared in your word your truth for us to learn from, not to beat us up, but to cause us to have a standard to which we can look to, where you are conforming us. God, I pray as a man, as a guy, that you would help me to love Marcia more sincerely and selflessly each day that I would honestly, truly be able 
to reflect you to this world. And I pray that, Lord, for each of the men that are here, even for those who may not be married, Lord, that they would be seeking to model their lives after you, that they might reflect you to this world. And for, for those, Lord, who, who are not married, who desire a wife, Lord, that you would cause them to be transformed and then to gift them with this blessing, if that's their desire. For the women, Lord, I ask that you would help them to, again, go totally opposite of what the world is teaching and to willfully submit to your plan of submission. That they would learn how to submit not only when they agree, but even when they don't agree. That they would see their husbands as gifts from you. And that your desire is for them to demonstrate what the church ought to be in its submission to you. And then as an assembly, God, that we would reflect you to this world. We would be like a city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. Oh, Father, that you would bring in more families to be trained, to be nurtured, to be developed for your glory. But, Lord, that we would go forth then to go and to make disciples and we would be used of you to impact this culture that so desperately needs your truth. Not for our glory, but for yours. In Christ's name, amen.